Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Thursday, and we're going to be diving into some dividend stocks to consider buying during the coronavirus market disruption. Joining me to break it all down is Motley Fool contributor Matt Delalo. Matt, how's it going? It's going as well as can be expected in these times. Yeah, it's it's been a wild a couple months in the stock market. Uh, crazy volatility when a lot of the stats that you can compare to are 1929, 1930. Uh, you can tell that craziness is going on. How have you been personally investing during this time? You know, I um, purposely cut back some cash. Uh, you know, it's just kind of how I invest. And so I've been dabbling, you know, putting some of that to work, focusing mostly on companies that I know can survive, uh, you know, like your big, big cap stocks, um, things that pay good dividends, have strong balance sheets, and that are just, you know, 20, 30% cheaper than before. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about some of those dividend stocks later on the show. We do have a couple of news items that we have to dive into. The first one uh, came really right before we started recording. So it's about 1045 Eastern time this morning, maybe half an hour, 15 minutes ago, maybe uh, President Trump tweeted uh, about what pot- could potentially be some significant cuts uh, coming out of Saudi Arabia and Russia. So the tweet said, just spoke to my friend MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who spoke with President Putin of Russia. And I expect and hope that they will be cutting back approximately 10 million barrels and may maybe substantially more, which, if it happens, will be great, all caps, for the oil and gas industry. Uh, when you see this this cut, obviously, we'll have to see what, what the, the Saudis and Russians actually do. But 10 million barrels a day is a significant cut, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's significant. So the oil industry pumps about 100 million barrels a day. So you know, you're taking out that much. However, they think demand's going to drop 20%. So this is really just a drop in the bucket because demand's been falling for weeks now. So there's got to be more cuts coming. There's just nowhere to put all this oil. So they have to do this because it, there's nowhere for the oil to go, but it's still not enough. So America's going to have to do something. And, and um, it'll be interesting to see what our response will be because they're not doing this for free. You know, they, they did this initially to hurt our oil industry, but it, it's really backfired because the coronavirus outbreak has turned out to be much worse than people expected. Yeah, as we keep saying, that double one-two punch of coronavirus plus this massive uh, surge up in, in supply. What what could possibly be uh, be on the table here? Because we have talked about uh, part of this move has been to potentially break U.S. shale and force up that uh, the the price of oil across the board uh, when they can you know boost production back up. What do you think could possibly be concessions from the U.S. to get this these cuts to happen? Well, I think initially what Russia was saying is that the United States producers are still growing their production. So here's Russia holding back and U.S. is continuing to grow. And they just got sick and tired of that. And they're like, you know, look, hey, we're going to take advantage of the situation and really put, you know, the pressure on the U.S. producers to stop growing. And I, I think they might actually have learned their lesson this time, you know, at least for the near term. There, there's been like a, a big pushback from investors to stop growing production as fast as possible. That's why we see dividends and stock buybacks. But I, I think now they have U.S. producers actually have to cut back. They, they've, you know, stopped drilling in some places and they've laid down drilling rigs. But that's just not enough. They have to actually turn off the physical pumps. And I've seen numbers like Texas might cut 20 percent. And I think things like that have to happen, which is things that just are unheard of in the industry. Right, and even even with Texas cutting twenty percent, you're still going to be, you know, say seven million barrels a day oversupplied. Uh, so so 
either way, we're going to be in a significant oversupply in, in the market, which creates difficult conditions uh, for shale oil companies. We've talked about in the past that there are probably some bankruptcies coming down the line for shale EMPs, whether or not uh, the coronavirus disruption took place. Well, we saw the first of those uh, come to fruition this week with Whiting Petroleum uh, being the first shale company to declare bankruptcy uh, so far this year. Not only did they declare bankruptcy, though, Whiting Petroleum's board approved $14.6 million in cash bonuses for top executives days before they declared bankruptcy. When you see this happen, Matt, does this surprise you at all coming from the shale industry? Unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me, but it's still shameful. You know, they they have drilled their company into the ground, taking out too much debt. And, not, you know, they had several years to prepare for this. And they, you know, they did little things here and there. But then what are they getting a bonus for? For destroying the company and, you know, for it to be paid in cash when, you know, there's people that they're laying off. It's just it's shameful. But it's it's practice in the industry. And, uh, you know, this is something that really needs to stop. Right. This is legal. So this is the thing. I mean, there, there's not really a legal repercussion here. I, the thing is this, you know, you need to kind of not invest in these these sorts of folks. Don't support them uh, and really call it out when you see it. And it's not just the management here that you need to you need to you know shame some. It's the I mean, it's the board. I mean, the board approved uh, this compensation package. A lot of these folks are longstanding board members. You look at the chairman of the board; have been there since 2003. Has received about one and a half million in compensation over the past five years. Clearly, isn't putting a lot of resistance uh, to management when they ask for these sorts of things. So it's so certainly uh, uh, concerning, and I think we'll, we can expect more of that this year as there's disruption in the oil market. And to be honest, these were all coming down the line. Uh, some some of these bankruptcies were coming down the line, whether or not the coronavirus disruption took place. So so when folks say, uh, you know, we 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 would have got through this, but for the coronavirus, don't necessarily believe that uh, for all these shell folks. Moving into our main topic for today, we're going to talk about uh, some dividend-paying stocks. We got a, a listener question from Mike. Mike asks, "What are the prospects for energy pipeline companies? Is Kinder Morgan, Enbridge, MLPs like Magellan, Midstream, etc., uh, in the current environment? Uh, what, are, what are the best current investments? Love the show. Keep up the good work, Matt. Any thoughts on those Midstream pipeline? Well, well, first, before we get into the Midstream, those those specific companies, uh, just just more broadly, we talked about the trouble that the EMPs um, have had. These bankruptcies taking place." How are these going to affect midstream companies, if at all? Yeah, I think that's the big unknown right now. Uh, one of the things that Whiting did before they declared bankruptcy is they they drew everything on their credit facility, and you know, so basically it's a, like a credit card that companies have with banks, and what that will do is that'll give them cash to operate as they work through things. And the idea is this will give them the money to pay these uh, midstream companies, their employees, their partners, that that sort of thing. So uh it it all what really depends on is how the bankruptcy things shake out like in weddings case it's pre-packaged which means they basically agreed what they're going to do so if everybody agrees to it that means they'll keep these midstream contracts in place however we don't know what the next one will be and there, there's companies out there that have significant exposure to these weaker financial financially weaker um emps and so if they go bankrupt and then they can't work out a prepackaged deal. They might have to go all the way back and cut, you know, midstream contracts as uh, oil service contracts. So we just don't know how it's all going to play out. And so that's, you know, investors really need to be careful and, and just keep an eye on basically everything that is risk related with these companies. Right. Those counterparties <laughs> are really important. That's why if you can have folks who who their their customers are are more credit worthy, uh, particularly 
help. I mean, it's always a good thing to look for, but particularly in this environment, even more important. Uh, going to the, these companies that, that Mike mentioned, Kinder Morgan, Enbridge, Magellan, Midstream, any of those pop out to you as particularly attractive or, or particularly unattractive? So uh, Enbridge actually put out an interesting uh, investor slideshow where they went through co- their counterparty risk, is, which is, you know, they have these long-term contracts, which is great, but if the, you know, the companies that underpinned it goes bankrupt, then they're, they're worthless. But it was like 90% of those contracts were with in- investment grade counterparties. Now, investment grade is, you know, flexible and, you know, if these companies come into trouble, those, those ratings could go, you know, bye-bye, but it does, you know, give them kind of a, a, a leg up on some of the other ones. And then the other thing is volumes are going to fluctuate a lot. And a lot of these contracts are called take or pay, which means if the volumes don't go, it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, the other thing is the commodity price. So a lot of these bigger pipeline companies are better insulated from these things. So you like your Kinder Morgan, your Enbridge, they're a lot safer. Um, Magellan in particular, they put out a, you know, kind of like a warning that they see 20% demand decline. And so that's going to impact them, but they still believe that they're going to be able to fund their dividend. They're just going to take on more debt, which they can, because they have a great balance sheet. So, you know, you're looking at the balance sheet. This is where the balance sheet really matters. And in those cases, all three of those companies really stepped it up before things got bad. And so they're better positioned now that things are bad. Yeah, I think all three of those are on the short list of ones that I, I would be looking at. I think Enbridge is one I think is particularly attractive given the assets that they have. They're kind of systemically important uh, to the Canadian market right. uh, when it comes to the, the pipeline supply there. Um, I want to talk about, too, just, just more broadly outside of the ones that, that Mike mentioned, uh, so some dividend stocks that you like. I asked you to kind of bring a couple that you're interested in. The first one of these is TC Energy. Matt, what can you tell us about that company? Yeah, so I really took a, a deep look at each one of these pipeline companies to see which one looks like the strongest. And, you know, I think TC Energy, which is formerly TransCanada, their natural gas focus and natural gas is going to be a little bit less uh, impacted by all this, even though, you know, the industries are shutting down, so you're not going to have as much natural gas demand. Uh, however, um, 92% of the cash flow is backed by these take or pay type contracts, which is mean there's no volume or commodity price risk. So that's very stable cash flow. Uh, most of them is investment grade shippers. And the big thing I think with them is that 40% dividend payout ratio. So very conservative, lots of um, you know cushion there. They have one of the highest credit ratings in the, the sector. And um, you know, so they're really well positioned for this. Now they're projecting eight to ten percent dividend growth next year and five to seven percent in the future. I'm concerned with that, but I do like their dividend right now. And I think that as far as you know, if I'm looking at a pipeline stock to buy, that would be the the safest one in my opinion right now. So when you say a concern about the dividend, don't expect it to rise this year, or that's a what? Are, what can you expound on that a little bit? Well, they, I, they've already increased it this year, but they're they're saying eight to ten percent next year, and they're just the industry might hold back for the near term, just given all the uncertainty. They might, you know, keep that cash that they would have used to raise the dividend, and they might go out and make an acquisition or just really fortify that balance sheet. I think in this environment, they don't need to grow the dividend at least that fast. Maybe you know, you do a one percent just to get you that twenty first year because they've they've grown it for twenty straight years, so. Right, you were, we were on that on the way to the to the dividend aristocrat yeah. status. You don't want to give that up, right? Even if you even you got to raise it by one penny, you're going <laughs> to yep. do what you need to, to, to stick on that list. Um, this is another one you mentioned. Mentioned Canada. You know, there's there's been a lot of political issues around the pipelines being going on there. Has that affected them at all? 
Actually, they just approved the Keystone XL pipeline, which kind of flew under the radar. That was a big deal in the past couple of years, but Trump had pushed it as soon as they got elected, and uh, they just decided that they're going to move forward with that. And uh, they did it because the government of Alberta, which is where all the oil sands companies are looking, they're going to help finance this thing. They're pumping like a billion dollars in equity, plus they're backing a credit facility. And that's because Canada needs pipelines. The oil prices in Canada were like five bucks a barrel the other day because they just don't have any place to store it. They don't have any place to get it to market. And so this will help them in the future. Obviously, it, it won't be ready for, you know, 2023 is optimistic because, you know, there's going to be some pushback from environmentalists and landowners and people like that. But, um, you know, it, it's a it's a project that would really move the needle for them if it does move forward. Yeah, it's it's been difficult, particularly these these further inland producers. It's really hard to get get your product to market. I mean, you know, there's nowhere to store it terrestrially, and then there's no there's no way to get it out. So so that's a particularly important thing. And then Canada, I think, is has been starved for pipelines uh, for a while. Moving on to, to your second stock, which which one did you bring for us, Matt? Uh, New Era Energy, which or Next Era Energy, sorry, which is a utility in Florida. We talked about it before. I think they're one of the best run energy companies in the country. They just they've been spot on with renewable energy, which, you know, is just this huge mega trend. They they invest um, very well as far as like looking for returns and, uh, you know, just their business. Now, even utilities, I think, could feel some near, near term impact from just the demand that, you know, that we're not using much electricity. We're not using much natural gas, but they've got the balance sheet to get through that. One of the best balance sheets in the industry. They have a low payout ratio, about 60 percent. So, you know, I like them very much. Again, the question is, are they going to grow the dividend as much as they say? They say 10% per year through 2022, which is very optimistic right now, given what, what we just don't know how the economy is going to respond to all this shutting down for, you know, a couple months. So, uh, but I, I think they, they can at least maintain their dividend. And then once things get better, they're, they're going to be, you know, shining on the other side. Yeah, as a utility, one thing you think about is you know they have they have regulated rates, and there there could be some restrictions you know from governments on on how much they'll let folks you know hike up rates given uh, the state of the economy. What one smaller? I mean, obviously, Nextair Energy is known mostly for its renewable portfolio, that sort of thing. They do have a small um, portfolio of pipelines. You think is that going to be affected at all by what's going on? I don't think so because most of their pipelines are uh, these take or pay ones, so they're not. Uh, into the gathering and processing, which is you know further upstream right by the wells. These are mostly interstate pipelines, and the gas uh, typically will flow to utilities that will use it. Now, I think if a utility is going to shut down anything because of lack of power demand, it will be coal because coal is the most expensive power source. So I think coal will go before natural gas, and because natural gas prices have plummeted. And then I don't think that anybody's going to shut off a renewable power plant right now. So I, I think they're very well protected as far as you know being able to continue making money on those contracts. Yeah, Matt, this raises an issue that I, I've, I've thought about, and maybe I can get your thoughts here, is we've seen this trend over the past several years uh, of coal being replaced by natural gas or, or renewables, that sort of thing. Do you think that this disruption caused by the coronavirus could accelerate that trend at all? I think so, uh, because there's just no – there's coal is just – in my opinion, it's done. There's no reason to be burning coal when we have clean burning natural gas, which is, I saw a price, you know, $1.50 per MCF. That's half of what it was not too long ago. And so that's so cheap and the renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper, especially with like all commodity prices are falling. So your steel prices are going to be cheaper. So that's going to make wind cheaper. So I really think that this is basically 
helped accelerate this um, this trend towards renewables. Yeah, absolutely. We see President Trump, you know, go back to another another tweet talking about now is the time to invest in infrastructure. If we're going to do that, I really would love to see some more investment in natural gas, renewables, that sort of thing. And I think that's the type of the, the type of investment that both parties can get on board with. And in these days, it's very difficult uh, to, to get that done in, in any, any sort of way. Uh, moving away from energy companies, talking more broadly uh, in the dividend space, any, any companies that you're interested in right now or you've been buying that you think are particularly attractive for dividend purposes? Yeah, I was really I had a, a watch list of kind of things that I was looking, you know, for to, to buy with, you know, if we ever got a big sell off and uh, Home Depot was one that was on my watch list because I'm renovating my house right now and I've been to Home Depot so many times and one day I saw the dividend yield was like 4% on Home Depot and that's a company that yeah, it's going to suffer in the near term, but it's something that like Amazon's not going to disrupt. And, you know, we're always going to need to maintain our houses. So that was one that I bought. And then um, waste management was another one. Uh, they, um, you know, they're sure garbage is, uh, you know, that's kind of recession resistant, but this is a different kind of recession. So I think there's a near term impact, but long term, you know, that's a really great, well run company. So those are some of the ones that I, I bought recently that I'm excited to be able to get at such a cheaper price. I've personally bought Home Depot as well. It checks off a lot of the boxes I look for uh, in a company. So it's in this duopoly. It's them and Lowe's. They're, it's really the barriers to entry are going to be very difficult for them. I, I can't imagine there's a store in the country of any size, or excuse me, a city in the country of any size that doesn't have one of those, those major hardware stores there. You, you talk about the, the type of things that they ship. You mentioned Amazon. Amazon's not going to start shipping two by fours or any of that sort of thing anytime soon. Just the logistical aspects of it is tough. And and again, whether you like to or not, uh, things break around your house. We have a little sliding door that goes in front of our um, in front of our kind of washer dryer. We have the stack washer dryer thing, and that thing has been slowly but surely breaking down day after day, week after week since we've been living at home. And I know I'm going to have to make a trip to Home Depot to fix that. And uh, you know they're just going to have that business going forward. Another thing that I think about, too, is uh, a lot of uh, folks my age, younger folks, are getting to that age where they're, where they're going to be moving into homes. And a lot of these starter homes, there's an undersupply of starter homes. So if, if you can't buy new uh, starter homes, well, maybe you're going to have to buy an older, uh, older house, which leads to uh, more kind of uh, you have to be fixing more stuff. So I think just structurally, Home Depot checks off a lot of boxes. This is the type of business that maybe it's going to be disrupted for a while, uh, yeah. but it's a really, really strong uh, franchise. And I also like I like, I like the management too. Arthur Blank uh, is, a, is a person who, you know, the founder of the business uh, who I can really respect and get behind. So I think across the board, I uh, like that business. Another one, uh, you know, I bought MasterCard. I think that's, that's a business that is going to do really great uh, during this period, dividend payer. Uh, it's not a massive, massive yielder, but uh, and card volumes are probably going to go down slightly, but again, uh, there there's some arguments people have made. I don't know if I'm if I'm really on board with them though. That that maybe this is going to accelerate the trend away from cash. Folks are worried about handling cash, doing buying more things online. I, I think generally it's a company that's going to come out of the back end uh, that's going to be well positioned. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with you on MasterCard. I bought that too. And then to your point about renovating or you know houses, we, my wife and I just bought a house last uh, July. It was a 25-year-old house, and man, the longer we've been in here, the more projects we added to our list. You know, things that initially didn't bother us, it's like, uh, oh, that needs to be painted or all oh, that needs to be replaced. And so I think you know, as more more people, and the other thing is, people that are living in apartments now, they realize that those apartments get small really quickly, and space is going to be at a premium. And I 
think you're going to see a big wave of people moving, you know, a little bit out to the suburbs and getting, you know, some space in a backyard that they can go out in. Yeah, tell me about it. I, I, we've been here, uh, you know, with with the lockdown. I have a, I have a large dog, a lab, and they closed all the dog parks in the city, and it has uh, been a chore trying to get him exercise without having yeah. a backyard and a place to go run him. I think lots of other people are are, are noticing that. One, you know, while we're talking about it, one other theme that I do think is going to benefit coming out of the back end of this is pets. I don't know if you if you've seen a bunch of your, a bunch of my friends have gotten pets in the past week or so. There was a, there was an article out of Bloomberg maybe a week or two ago that said New York City had literally run out of foster pets. They they didn't have any because so many people had come and got and 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 you know picked up you know pets to to help them out. I guess, and uh, I think that's a trend that's probably going to going to benefit um, in the near term. Uh, f- from this disruption, and I think that's that's a trend that already uh, had a lot of tailwinds behind it. So I've been looking at at some of the pet companies, whether Idex Labs or Zoetis, or even like Trupanion Pet Insurance. Um, those are all kind of themes that I'm I'm looking at right now uh, uh, to invest in. Yeah, well, as pet owners, we don't have kids, but we have two cats, and uh, Chewy is uh, you know something that we've used for years, and it's it's such a great company as far as just being ease of use. We get our kitty litter and food delivered to us, you know, right at a consistent basis, so my wife doesn't have to pick that up at the store. So they're a good company for us as uh, users. So boom, there, there's a list uh, for everybody to to look at. Matt, do you have it? I keep asking this for for all our guests that we that that come on. Because a lot of y'all have been working at home for a long period of time, even before uh, this coronavirus uh, disruption. I know I, I'm kind of adjusting to this process as well. Do you have any tips for those of us who are now working at home to how to navigate uh, that new dynamic? Uh, I love working from home. I'm a bit of an introvert, so it kind of suits me well. But you know, try to keep some sort of set schedule. It's kind of what I've what I've dealt. You know, been easy for me. But I like to break up my day and you know go for a walk or you know go get some exercise. And you just have so much freedom to do that. And uh, you know, so I take advantage of that freedom. The fresh air is you know somebody that you know I spend a lot of time in front of the computer writing, but just getting that fresh air is very helpful. So definitely do that. Good tips, good tips for everybody at home. Matt, thanks as always for coming on the show. You know, we had President Trump tweeting right before the show, but likely by the end of the day, there could be another tweet that totally reverses everything we discussed today. Hopefully not. Hopefully we gave some value for the listeners anyway, but always happy to have you on uh, chatting about uh, investing. Hey, thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Matt DeLalo, I'm Nick Seifel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. 